Hey everyone, this is Dan with the Spiritual Underground Podcast. Doing a little intro this evening, uh, kind of doing it in reverse order. My guest has already left. I didn't get it in beforehand. Uh, a couple things happened, and maybe I'll explain that a little here in a minute. Uh, I'm coming to you from my wood shop out here in the backyard, DTM Enterprises. Uh, you need any woodworking or handyman stuff, uh, contact me, DTM, or it's dan at dtmww.net. Uh, you can find me on Facebook too. There's Facebook for this uh, podcast, Spiritual Underground Podcast. Twelve Step Spiritual Recovery is a book by James Christopher Cohn. Is the Twelve Steps? It's the uh, I will go back to what I used to say. It is a magnum opus, the uh, the um, great compendium, the maximum prime version of the Twelve Steps, and it is for anybody, whether or not you struggle with addiction. Uh, if you want a little more better in your life, uh, you don't have us talking to my friend here that's with me here this evening. Uh, if, if, if you feel like you didn't have the rule book to this thing called life, uh, these principles will give you some uh, ways to operate. And as we say in recovery, and I find it to be true in, in our TSSR, our 12-step recovery groups too, that uh, if you would write a script for yourself as you walk into the door, uh, you would sell yourself short. Um, so... 12-step spiritual recovery on amazon james christopher cone you can also go to 12-step spiritual recovery.com and uh read about the movement so uh kind of cool thing happens this uh higher power attaboys or you know whatever you want to say the you know there's a lot of darkness in the world right now but uh i always look for the light and and i always find it uh, it comes shining in in unexpected directions, and uh, I've got a friend that uh known for quite some time. I don't know if longer than I've been sober, uh, who uh, called me about a month ago and said he was uh, heading out of town up to Minneapolis to uh, go to rehab, a 30-day rehab. And uh, and lo and behold, you know, it was right as soon as this, you know, it was right in the middle of this COVID bullshit. And uh, not to mention, then he gets up there to Minneapolis, and 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 all hell breaks loose up there. Uh, so uh, that's going to be a hell of a story someday to uh, come through. And and like I say, man, getting sober right now ain't easy. Uh, without face-to-face meetings and and limitations that are placed on you, not to mention you're going to fly into a city who's uh, rioting and 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 burning the place down. Uh, doesn't 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 help anything and and not to mention flying is kind of funny right now because uh, i took my cute daughter to the airport the other day man it looked like a ghost town uh, park wherever you wanted to uh they also decided they're going to do construction on the airport so they are obviously seeing that there's some kind of upside coming because they were had our local airport under under construction and improvements and stuff so my friend here being uh called me up and told me that and uh last night i got an email from him or a night or two ago i don't really remember when said he was going to be home and i uh, wanted to hit the ground running um drank a lot of beer with ben uh at night i broke in that house i went to ben's house for help and and if he'd answered the door i'd probably spent the night on his couch and if I'd have spent the night on his couch, I'd have missed on some things that happened that night, like sitting underneath that tree with my father, like walking in and uh, going through an experience and the pain that I was able to experience because I looked into the eyes of my then-girlfriend and my mother uh, as they're uh, experiencing the pain that I brought them through my disease of addiction. 
And had I not experienced that, I don't know where I'd be. You know, those are all things of path. I don't, I don't, you know, who knows how it would have worked out. But uh, so I know him for a long time, and uh, I'm glad to see that he's uh, on this path to recovery. He's uh, teased with it a bit. I hear from him now and again whenever he's uh, hitting a so-called bottom and, and not feeling real good about himself. Uh, he'll he'll holler out at me and. Uh, and, and and frankly, and I'll just be honest, you know, time and time again, he's had some false starts and maybe wanted to take some action, but didn't. But this time around, he uh, he took some action. And when you get on a plane and fly off and leave your family and, and go devote yourself to getting better, uh, the universe rewards you for those kind of things. Uh, the next challenge is, is to keep that momentum going. Uh, you get these windows of opportunity when when recovery is available to you. And the window will shut quickly if you don't stay in it. Uh, and and so that's some of my advice as I look into his eyes across the stable, and, he, and I can see that he's doing that because uh, he's wanting to get hooked up with this home group that I've got, which is just a great bunch of dudes. And uh, already they are already uh, showing that kind of support that, that I've got used to, to having around me as I'm recovering. So uh, want to tell a little bit about your last 30 days or – you want to uh what do you want you got anything to say ben uh yeah yeah um it's a great experience uh my addiction counselor recommended me uh go up there and he said that's the place he wanted me to go and uh it was a great group of guys in the unit i was in and um you know the the place was uh beautiful there was trails and lakes and it was just really serene the counselors and the uh the doctors were were great um it was a little weird though the the everything was virtual um yeah same as here everything's virtual you know the 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 speakers were actually in an auditorium you know just a couple hallways down speaking to a empty auditorium and yet we're in the unit watching that speaker on the television um but you all got to be face to face in the unit stuff, yeah so you still had that yeah but we they were, tested you on the way in so you had a little quarantine period as you walked in the door yeah i was in the medical unit for two days detoxing and then um waiting for the covid results to come back before i got put in the unit yeah i I knew everybody was as safe as they could get it anyway and and uh everybody was masked up you know did you have to wear masks all the time the only time you weren't masked up was uh eating when you were in your room for the night and when you were uh sitting down at the table to eat you had to wear the the mask you know when you went through the cafeteria and got your food and everything but yeah, I heard. Uh, and then if you had to get up and go to the bathroom, you had to put your mask on. And, mm-hmm. and we had a COVID scare while we were there. Poor guy. Uh, it was his second trip to uh, Hazelden, and he had only been there two days and uh, spiked a fever and got a cough. And when you're there, that something like that happens, you got to have a four-hour exit strategy no matter where you're from wow so get the fuck out of here is there by the way my podcast is explicit 
so yeah it was basically sorry but you've got to go yeah well i understand that they can't have a and a whole bunch of people getting sick he ended up testing negative but in the meantime before the results came in they sent in a serious crew of people and totally sanitized the whole unit but it was a great experience and uh i'm just glad to be back home and see my family and hit the ground running with uh sobriety and the road to recovery and meeting these great group guys uh spiritual underground and um just looking forward to the the brotherhood and camaraderie that um i feel like that group's got to offer yeah one of the things that uh happened for me is that uh well, frankly, I wore out all my old friends at some level. Either A, because I was playing sober and I didn't want them to know that I wasn't anymore. Uh, or B, I couldn't be around them because they weren't sober. You know, and, and I really didn't have any people doing any life any different way than that old way I was doing it. So I had to, I, I, when, I, when I found this group of dudes who uh, were all like-minded, now we're all different. But we do have some similarities, you know. Some of us like to hunt. Some of us like to still, you know, all a big chunk of us love to get out in nature. That's one of the things that seems that we all have in common. But more than that, all this common bond on having been down this path and and having gotten used the same tools to get better. And now I have this. Uh, there's a line in, towards the end of that 164 pages, and that says, "He will help you create the fellowship you crave." And I heard Scott Lee, a circuit speaker, say, you know, I never knew that's what I was really craving. Because ultimately, when I started drinking and boozing and doing all that, that's what I was doing. I was doing it to fit in with you so I could be a buddy of yours, you know. And, and ultimately, that sort of kind of ended up being the thing that I was doing later on, you know. If I was going to try and get to be a friend with a dude, it was going to be over some beers. The problem was is that some beers for me may not be the same thing as some beers for that guy. Yeah. Uh, or if it was, then we were actually a very toxic couple because then we could drink together at levels that weren't healthy for either one of us. And uh and but now I got a whole nother fellowship that uh that of brothers and you know that uh I tell people, you know, if I have something going on that I need help with, regardless, whether if it's just I need to vent and scream and yell. Maybe I just need to blast some damn energy and expel some negative energy out of me uh so that i can get rid of it dump it i got i got men i can do that with I got men that uh that uh if i need some physical help because frankly i know right now if i got on that app that i just signed you up on and i put on there that i need some fucking help right here right now uh i would have some people getting up and getting out of bed and the same thing here if i come across that line right now no matter what i got going on in the morning i'm getting up and i'm leaving uh and that's what we do for one another and and i never had that before uh so uh my buddy travis he probably i I think he listens to most of these he likes to tell people when they hit this group welcome home yep uh, Uh, he told me that yeah for sure yeah that is uh good stuff i'm glad you're uh back you look good you look better than i've seen you looking quite some time maybe forever and I'm sleep-deprived right now, too. So yeah. Well, that'll be kind of a common thing with this. Uh, <laughs> sleeping is not an easy thing for some people. That's where uh, I found that practice of meditation is because I don't wait till step 11 to get people meditating. I get people meditating right now. Uh, well, if it's three minutes, I don't give a damn. Just start. 
and uh, a meditation practice will help you sleep. Today I can turn myself off like a light switch, and I credit that to to meditation. I did a little bit of meditating up there, and I must say that you know there were sixteen dudes sitting in a room, and it's kind of funny. We all thought it was a little bit funny at first, but then once we started meditating every day, start seeing that we realized, real. wow, this is relaxing. Yep, and it's real. You know, there's something to that. There's definitely you know, something to that. I look at it like, you know, some of this machinery out here, man. If I would just leave that saw run 24-7, how long do you think it'll last? If I just turned it on and I went in and I just let that son of a bitch run 100, you know, at full RPMs, it's going to burn out, ain't it? Yeah. Well, that's yeah. kind of like our little hamster wheel up here in our head. It's running 24-7 at full RPMs. Mine is anyway. And so by giving it that break every day for a little while, actually makes it operate better mm -hmm. so I, I give it a little break every day and and purposely too you know sleep doesn't necessarily do it because that thing still spins in the sleep and i can't help it i can't do anything about it but i sit down and some days my meditations are actually you know where i actually can kind of slow that wheel down sometimes my meditations the wheel don't slow down i don't i don't label one over the other i just uh, i do it again tomorrow or i do it again today sometimes i meditate a few times a day uh, it's a tool I can use. Sometimes I breathe in line. I went to the doctor's office uh, Tuesday afternoon, and uh, and I'm sitting in there and waiting on the doctor, and I close my eyes, and I put my hands on my knees, and I stretch my back out straight, and I, and I just concentrate on my breathing, and I just breathe, and after a few minutes, the door opened, and he walked in, you know, so I can use meditation as a tool as I'm just sitting there waiting. Otherwise, I can sit there and drum my fingers mm -hmm. or struggle with my phone because it's not getting good self-service in that damn building and, uh, and, and cause more stress for myself. Uh, I used to walk in the doctor's office and my blood pressure would be sky high. And I walked in there this time around. It felt like it was a little high, but when she put the cup on me, I breathed it down. Like with meditation, I went. I, br I breathed calmly and deeply while the cuff was on me. And I was uh, 117 over 74. Wow. Perfect. Right? It's, uh, I used to be on blood pressure medicine, and I'm not anymore. That's awesome. So I was tickled to hear that, they're, uh, that they were, that they were uh, you shared with me some things, so I, and I'm not going to go a lot longer because we've already gone 15 minutes. Uh, I was tickled to hear the things you shared with me about the fact that they had exposed you to some meditation, some Tai Chi, some yoga. And, and, and many other things that are all, uh, to me, critical in, 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 in recovery. Uh, not that you have to do all of them, but I think the exposure is good. And uh, I'm glad to see that uh, that place is, uh, everything you told me sound like stuff. You know, frankly, some, some rehabs are not that way. Some treatment centers are not that way. And uh, sound like you got a, a good head start. So... Congratulations and welcome home, like Travis says. Yeah, Thank it's you. Good to see you, man. I love you. Thank you. Love you, brother. All right. Well, my guest will be up in just a moment. Y'all stand by. Peace out. Hello out there. This is Dan with the Spiritual Underground Podcast coming to you from my little wood shop in my backyard, DTM Enterprises. Uh, hot all week this week and uh summertime is setting in some of the uh noise in the universe seems to be calming down a little bit 
uh, I can feel that raise off of me a little over the last few days and grateful for that. Uh, I think I'll sweep back around. You heard that intro from my, my little commercials at the beginning, so we'll get going. Uh, once again, uh, God, higher power, whatever you want to call it, has delivered a, no, a new guest to me. Uh, I, I do enjoy when I get to have somebody, in, a person where I meet them in the driveway. Like I said, I get to have a new friend and uh, and and expand this perimeter, too, of this podcast message of going out to... Uh, uh, really what it's doing is putting speaker tapes, local speaker tapes out for folks to listen to. And uh, we, we get, you know, uh, my guest was just talking about the fact that uh, her sponsor is a circuit speaker and goes out and, and probably is used to being recorded and, and can probably be found easily out on the out on the net. And, and those stories are awesome because they can, you, know, you don't get to be a circuit speaker by not being able to deliver a good message, a good story. Uh but also, we got good stories just sitting around that aren't out on the circuit, right? And, and they're every bit of uh, as valuable, and and you just never know, you know, that that same thing what we say around here, if, you know, if if it only touches one person, uh, then then it's all worth it. And how how this works, and you hear it time and time again when we're hanging around recovery circles, is that people talk about having heard somebody tell their story, or you know, they were sitting and they heard somebody say something that that rang true to them and was a turning point for them so uh i don't think we can do enough of that to carry this message because uh frankly over the past few over these past few months of this covid virus and uh just i can't really lay this at the feet of what's going on but i think it's all wrapped up of uh a lot of uh worldly clamor kind of things going on uh i've lost some friends and, and some of them I've lost maybe temporarily because they've relapsed. Uh, and some of them I've lost permanently because they've, they've fell to this disease during this tough time. And, it, and I know my sponsor's, been, my sponsor's been sober for 36 years and has said it's the hardest time he's ever had in recovery uh, right now with the, with the lack of face-to-face meetings and, uh, and the, kind of the social isolation, the social distancing going on and things. And it's just been a tough time. So... Uh, it's a good time to be continuing to carry this message. I had a little piece of me for a minute, just like we do, uh, doubting whether if I wanted to continue doing this podcast for a little bit. You know, uh, thankfully I got a sponsor that encourages me to keep keep doing what I'm doing, so I keep getting what I'm getting. Uh, that goes both ways. That goes back into madness and goes into uh, recovery. If I keep on doing the things that I'm doing in recovery, I seem to keep on uh, receiving the gifts that recovery has to offer me. So uh, I'll keep on doing this. I, I, I had a friend the other day tell me he thinks he doesn't need meetings anymore. Now, you want to talk about bells ringing when a dude says that. Uh, so uh, Rachel's my guest today. She's uh, come in after work, met me in the driveway. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's been a good day. Yeah. Almost all days are good, it seems like, nowadays. Comparatively, right? Absolutely. Comparatively. Uh, but, uh easier softer way is this way it really is yeah, yeah. Uh, what's your sobriety date uh, my sobriety it's 10 10 13 10 10 13 so that would have mean just went seven seven back in october right? uh, is that right no seven six, coming up seven yeah. coming up see my math is not i used to be an engineer and i still can't add that's okay uh, so did you grow up around here um no i've actually 
I was born in West Virginia. Um, I've lived in Montana, Utah, Iowa, Virginia, West Virginia, and Kentucky, wow. and Indiana. All over the place. All over, about four different places in Virginia, and about, I think, six different places in Kentucky. Dang. So um, I, I now, like, uh, when I first was in recovery um, and people asked me where I was from or even before I got in recovery, you know, when I was younger, I didn't really have an answer. I would have questions for them. Do you mean where did I just move from? Uh, where was I born? You know, what do you mean by, you know, where are you from? Yeah, because, that's a hard question. When yeah, yeah. Never, there was never really a home for me. And now, um, even though I, I live in, in Georgetown, um, I, I answer Louisville, you know, like uh, where are you from? I'm from Louisville. Um, because I think this is where I, <clears throat> that is where I got my connection. Um, that is where I found um, a life of just amazing people, a life of spiritual principles um, that have allowed me to be the person I was intended to be. Um, and that's what I believe. And so that, that has become my home. Yeah. Uh, that's where my people are. Yeah. So I, I'm from there with them. Yeah. That's that's where well, I'm I grew from. up here. Well, I grew up right here in this on this property, this particular uh, house. Yeah, but uh, we moved here when I was three, and and of course I well left. I haven't been here for the whole forty-seven ensuing years. Uh, I went off and got married and had kids and and did all that, but ended up back here again and buying the property while I was still married. My wife and I bought the house from my parents, uh, but I found my recovery in Louisville. You know, and one of the things I was doing early on was just trying to go to the closest meeting to me. Yeah. You know, the convenient meetings and mm -hmm. uh, and all and it's in, and I don't think it has anything to do with the quality or people at those meetings because they're great people and great meetings. It doesn't mean it, I don't really understand how that how you find that spot that all of a sudden the aha spot for you in this fellowship. And sometimes it's to go into any length, like the book says, right? Yeah. I had you know. I thought, I don't want to go all the way to Louisville to go to a meeting, you know, and, yeah. uh, and, and now I'd love to go back to today after yeah. however many months now, three months of not having Absolutely. meetings. Uh, Absolutely. I would love to drive across that bridge and, and go back to my home group. Uh, and hopefully we'll be able to do that before too long. The geographical thing, you know, if you're very far from here, you have to say you're from Louisville because nobody knows where Georgetown or yeah. New Albany is. That's true. That's true. Yeah, Absolutely. How was your, uh, yeah, I always like to talk because um, I do believe this stuff starts, for me and for many people, it seems to start early. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I didn't know this at the time, obviously, but uh, looking back, I can trace back where my uh, roots of alcoholism and that needing to feel different uh, started when I was a child. So I like to touch on that kind of thing. You comfortable talking about how you're bringing and how you, how Absolutely. all that Absolutely. Yeah, sure will. Um, Can you pull that just a little closer to you? It will articulate, come close. It's good if it's about a fist away from you. And I usually tell you ahead okay. of time. It's better? I, yeah. Okay. Good. I have a little level meter, in, but it helps when you're closer to the microphone. Okay. Awesome. Um, yeah, I can. Uh, and it's been clearer the longer that I stay sober. Um, the more that I do work on myself, what actually where I can see those things as I was a child. And, and looking back now, um, like when I first got sober, I thought it was, oh, that first time I smoked weed, right? And then a little bit longer into my sobriety, I was like, wait a minute. No, no, no. It was when I smoked that cigarette. It made me deathly ill. I had to steal it. I was hiding it. You know, like all the things that go along with my alcoholism, my addiction, 
And now, um, you know, I can look back as a child. I used to get my mom's purse. I stole so much candy, you know, from the store and then would just sit there, you know, down by the creek and dump it all out and just look at it. Um, I definitely needed validation. Um, I just wanted my sister to tell me I was doing a good job, um, to tell me that she loved me, to want me to come along. It was always, Rose, take your sister. Rose, take your sister, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I can see that for sure. And, and the first time that I didn't need that um, was when I, you know, was when I found weed. Um, you know, we were, we were sitting up there and uh, my stepmom was gone for some reason and the rest of the family was. Um, and I had stolen some beer, never drank beer before, but I had stolen this beer and I hid it in this trunk of this old car and we just waited, you know. Um, and then when the time was right and all of her friends came over, because I didn't really have any friends of my own, mm. I never got to get that connection of um, belonging, you know. Like I, I think that um, within us there is an urgency uh, to belong, uh, to connect. Uh, for some people, that's animals, you know, for some people, that's nature, for some people, that's other people, you know, or their higher power. Um, but I didn't really get that. And I wanted that so badly from my sister. And uh, that's what I always just tried to get that from her. And that one day, man, uh, when I smoked that joint, and she turned around and looked at me, and she was like, you need to sit down and shut up, you're embarrassing me. Um, that was the first time that I can remember not caring. Mm-hmm. Not trying to appease her, not trying to get that validation from her. I just laughed and kept doing what I was doing, you know. How yeah. do you think you were? Um, so at that point, I was definitely fourteen. Um, that's, a, that, that's like a I call them bell ringers. When yeah. I hear these, as I sit here and talk to people, I hear these reoccurring, and that fourteen number. Yeah. Uh, come because the best of my knowledge, that's that was the age. Yeah. Uh, for me too. Was, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think it was it was 14. And before that, with the, the cigarettes, like back in the day, they used to have cigarettes outside from behind the counter. Yeah. And they were in the little carousels, remember, in front yeah. of in front of where you where you purchased items. Um, and so it's the most terrible cigarettes ever. It was GPC, like hundreds, mediums like you couldn't get any nastier than that. Um, and yeah, I, I, I stole those and um, I lived in Harrodsburg at the time. And so the only thing we had to do there, that was before we had a Walmart there, was uh, you cruised the McDonald's parking lot. And that's what the cool kids did, right? And so I had, uh, we were not allowed to do that, but somehow I had snuck there with these cigarettes, um, giving them out to my friends and stuff, and made me deathly ill. I was in the bathroom puking. Like, it was a, it was, I couldn't even be with my friends. I got to sneak out and be there doing those things. I couldn't even be with them. Um, And I know now, like, Normal people would be like, whoa, that's terrible. I'm yeah. not doing that Most again. wouldn't do that again. Yeah, like, I'm not doing that again. But, you know, not me and those, uh, you know, ominous warnings my mom told me. I remember because uh, I was living with my stepmom and my dad, and I was calling her on the phone, and I told her that I had smoked, you know, cigarettes. And she was like, you need to stop. Like, you'll be smoking a pack a day eventually. I was like, no, I won't. Me. Yeah. She was right. Ominous warning. I failed to heed. Yeah. That that happened. That happened and much more. Yeah. I started uh, much a similar kind of thing. I, my mom smoked and uh, she developed breast cancer when I was 10. I still remember that from being here. And that's part of my, I can remember being part of my story on, of being sent out in the backyard to, uh, 
go play while they had a adult talk. Mm-hmm. And her brother was here, and I don't know, maybe my some aunts, maybe my relatives on my dad's side of the family, his brother and sister too, and they, and so I, but I didn't, I didn't, I don't listen, and I don't do as I'm told. Yeah. And I just slipped around the corner and shoved my little brother out the door so that he would go outside, and it sounded like somebody went out and played, and I listened to mom to say something about having cancer, and of course that's I didn't understand any of that. You know, I heard that as a death sentence. Mm-hmm. That's all I knew. Uh, my mom lived to be 72, uh, died in 2016, uh, but she always pretended like she quit smoking, but she never, she never did. As a matter of fact, she smoked her last cigarette on the way to the hospital the day she had the stroke that ended up basically being her downfall. Yeah. But I used to take her cigarettes, you know, and take those. She smoked Marlboro Reds yeah, and they were rough. Yeah. But uh, that first buzz, I didn't get sick yeah. and I almost fell down. Yeah. Uh, and, and the same thing is just how awful that really was. And that's an interesting thing, too, that most of the time, you know, well, for me and a lot of, uh, most of my first experiences were things were not really pleasurable. Mm-hmm. But I kept doing them. Yeah. You know, uh, I didn't like it the first time I smoked dope. Yeah. I didn't like it. But I did it again and again until I got to liking it. Yeah. I didn't like the taste of beer when I first opened it. Got to train beer. yourself. Yeah. And yeah. Then whiskey and hard liquor is awful. Yeah. It really is. You really just got to get that stuff down. Yeah. Primarily for the effect <laughs> it produces. It, you yeah. Know? And it, it, it's interesting that we will take some, some substance that is like that hard to deal with. Yeah. And force it yeah. into us. Absolutely. So cigarettes and definitely and sugar and those kind of things are were like gateway things. Yeah. yeah. I do believe on, that. You know, of, uh, trying to find things to uh, you know, ultimately make me feel different, what, however that was. Yeah, absolutely. I don't mean to derail you either. Oh, you're good. No, you're good. Um, <clears throat> I guess I can tell you a little bit about what happened uh, following that, what, what transpired. And very, very interestingly... Um, I don't remember, like, a lot of my high school years. I don't remember a lot of things. I had, well, I've had multiple, um, like, physical. um, I jumped out of cars, jumped out of second-story windows. I've OD'd multiple times. You know, many things that physically to my body that have been done. And I'm not sure if those things caused my memory to not be very good. Um, or if it's like some kind of psychological thing, I'm not really sure. Uh, but I do know that I ran into like one of my old boyfriends from, uh, college after I'd been sober for a little while, about two years, two years, I was sober about two years. And he was telling me stories about like me being drunk all the time and like, um, going and picking up my mom and taking her to basketball games and like all these things that I, I didn't even remember, you know, and um, that kick-started some of the, like, I remember I used to take the box wine that Nancy would have, my stepmom, and I would drink it. Well, if you drink it, you've, you've got to, you got to put something back. Like, you can't just drink that. They're going to find out. So I would go as far as to, like, take, you know, box cutters and very carefully, like, open the back of the box wine, you know, cut the top of the bag, pour water in it, take duct tape, like put the bag, seal the bag back up with the duct tape and like glue the box back together. 
Um, and and uh, I, I do remember that, and it's it's interesting. It's interesting. It it I think progressed pretty quickly. I remember at different times, um, if I could, if I had the ability to, if I got rides to school, I would smoke pot before school every single day, every single day. Absolutely. We were like that. I was the same too. Yeah, yeah. I had a car and a friend who needed a ride and yeah. had dope. Yeah. And we were, we made a good pair. Yeah, I had, a, I had a friend that would come pick me up and had dope. So that was yeah. perfect. Yeah. It was perfect. Yeah. Because yeah. that's, that I feel, you know, a lot of high school and a lot of that stuff, there's like this veil kind of mm-hmm. for me. And I don't, I don't know what it is either. I don't know if it's more to be re- disclosed kind of stuff, mm-hmm. more to be revealed kind of things or yeah. what, or that fog of that lifestyle. Of just not really hanging on to it mentally, I'm not sure, but my yeah. high school days are a fog. Yeah. Uh, I remember the people, for whatever reason, I have this gift with faces and names. Yeah. So I like remember my people when I see them in the stores and stuff. A lot of them don't seem to recognize me. Yeah. Uh, or they don't want to. I'm not sure which one it is. Yeah. Uh, but but getting up in the morning and getting high on the way to school, and then we I went to a vocational school through high school, so I had a big break in the middle of the day. Yeah. And we went smoked dope and played Jim Rummy in a parking lot over nearby. Yeah. And uh, and then we'd go to school, and then when school let out, back at it again. And uh, and I spent you know as many of my high school days as I possibly could doing that. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was kind of the theme, trying to do that. And then my behaviors just got out of control. And, you know, my stepmom, she had, there were six of us. Uh, my brother Jesse was the first to move out. But I had two younger brothers, Ryan and Keaton. Um, and I had my sister, Rose, and my younger sister, Morgan. Um, and so she had a lot of kids to take care of. Dad was always working somewhere else. Um, so he would be off in another state, you know, working, making money, sending money home, coming home once or twice a month. Um, and she had to take care of all of us. And we lived at a place called, uh, Harrisburg Pottery and Crafts. Like it was in, uh, Harrisburg, Kentucky, and it was a whole entire shop, you know, like we learned how to use, we learned how to weave, use looms. Uh, we did dried arrangements. We did pottery. We dipped candles. You know, like we did all the ins and outs. We had open houses where we brought dulcimer players in. You know, they had. Well, that'd be really cool. Today, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I didn't think so. Yeah, at the time, you know, it yeah. I didn't think so. There was a farm, you know, in the back. We had a barn. Uh, we had sheep. We had a cow at one point that was like our pet. We had a horse. We had chicken, you know, we had all these things and it was, I mean, look at it, a, a pretty much single woman, because dad's gone, running a shop and having five kids and two of them, you know, under the age, like two and under. Um, and that would be crazy. We all did anything you can imagine. We played all the sports, um, ran cross country, played basketball, you know, soccer, freaking softball. Uh, we took tennis lessons. We took gymnastics. We took, uh, drama lessons, singing lessons, piano lessons, you name it, man, that woman, all of us, all of us did those things. Uh, I can't imagine, you know, because I can keep up with my two teenagers today at all. Yeah, it's crazy to have the, that many children there. And she didn't 
have to. Like, we were my dad's children, Rose and I were. You know, she didn't have to open her home to us, and she did. Mm. <clears throat> you know, and um, I was just a terror. I was a terror after a while. I was angry, um, you know, and I'm, I'm sure... I think you start blocking yourself off from the sunlight of the spirit and you're smoking weed every day and, and there's your morals and values that, that were so well ingrained, you know, yeah. as you grew up, you know, to do unto others, you know, treat people as you want to be treated, think about other people, always help someone, all that stuff. I think it gets clouded out, man, because I, I, I'm, I'm, blocking, I'm blocking it off, you know, I'm blocking off the sunlight. Um, and I became just a terror um and one night i said some things to her um that gone too far um and she called my dad and had me removed and left and i was 16. i went to go live with my mom and my uncle um well my mom and then they were like that's a bad idea and they found asked my uncle if i could come there and i stayed with my uncle for quite some time um because again my mom like from the age of 17 till 64, she had one year of sobriety. And she evidently, according to my cousins, like she drank alcoholically at least from the age of 17, maybe younger. Mm. Um, and six months of that one year was in a treatment center. So they knew, my dad knew, you know, probably not a good fit. <clears throat> but again, you know, um, because of my selfishness and self-centeredness and just wanting to do what I wanted to do. Um, I was allowed to take my uncle's car and go get a movie. <clears throat> we lived in um, Nicholasville on this, uh, like down Ashgrove Lane. And I was going down to this little store um, and I had my friend with me. And um, coming back, man, I had to go get some weed. Um, went to go get that movie started coming back I wanted to impress there's this boy walking on the side of the road that went to my school and uh, my uncle had taught me how to drive that car it was a 71 Monte Carlo it was all rebuilt you know I had chrome engine parts all original parts um, 355 in it and I dropped it down to low and was like getting it um, that road back there and that wide um, and I fell off and I'm 16 you know fell off a little bit on the right hand side you know felt the warning bumps um, ended up putting that passenger side tire uh, up inside the engine from a stump. Ooh. Yeah, so it took, that was the age of 16. I got sober when I was 33, six years old. About. I don't think it's going to be any problem. It just stopped recording. We didn't miss anything because I saw it pop up. Huh, that's interesting. So that's interesting, too, to be called that, right? Because when we start being called certain things, yeah, uh, we can kind of take that on and say, okay, if I'm going to be... That's what I'm going to be called. Yeah. Yeah, no, I... I, I assume I, that duty. I loved him very much, you know, and... Uh, yeah, and I'm certain that he didn't mean harm by it. It was more of a... He's just very resentful. Yeah. You know, that was his... That car he had given to his wife on their first anniversary, and they had been married for 19 years, and he had, over those 19 years, built that thing. Yeah, yeah. It becomes a, like a child. Yeah. Yeah. So, that was... Was know. that one of those big, long, front-nose touch yeah, things? Yeah, it looked like, um, kind of like you're in a boat. Did it have the swivel seats, too? It did not. Yeah, some of them had, had that, Yeah, it had the um, seats swiveled around. Yeah, it had, I think it had bench seats. Huh. 
I'm not I've sure. I've had a couple of friends that one of my best friends out of right out of high school and stuff had one, and then I had some other friends that had those big long nose Monte Carlos. Yeah. You don't see those anymore. No, you know, it's a beautiful car. You still car. see some classic. You know, you see classic cars running around, obviously, but uh, that's a car you don't see much of. Yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah, yeah. He was he was very angry about that. I kicked back around. I ended up going with mom then. Yeah. So that was enough of, that was all the damage you had to do there before it was time <laughs> yeah, to go? Yeah, that was it, man. Um, and then that's when I moved to Georgetown, Kentucky and uh, went to Scott County High School. I ended up graduating, but I didn't get to walk with my class. Um, we were smoking pot in the front parking lot right next to the, the police that was directing the, the cars. We were just blatant, you yeah. know. Just like did not care, didn't thought we were invincible, you know. Yeah. Um, I got kicked off the high school basketball team here for smoking dope on the bus on the way back from an away ball right? game with the team on the bus and the coaches and everybody. Yeah. Was like, what was? I, but like, you know, I wanted and my my sponsors taught me to change my vocabulary around that because I would want to call that stupid. You know, but all those things are stepping stones of just how powerless I was through mm-hmm. all that time of being powerless against any better judgment. Uh, that that, yeah. that 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 parasite had hijacked my operating system, and and I didn't do the things that, <laughs> that yeah. a normal person would do. Yeah, well, I might be able to get away. This will be fine. Yeah, that part of your brain that actually has been what I believe uh, saved many of us. Because if I were to know what my actual truth were at many different instances in that madness time, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have lived. I, w- I would have killed myself. You know, I would not have been able to handle the truth. And, and by the time I, you know, <clears throat> washed up in, in detox, man, um, I was so delusional, like cr- crazy uh, to look back on just my ideas about things you know like I still did not believe I had a problem and I weighed like less than a hundred pounds couldn't complete a sentence without nodding out in the middle of it didn't have my daughter didn't have like a place to live would choose to sleep in a car outside when I could go in my mom's house because I couldn't do what I wanted to in there you know what I mean but nothing was wrong could not connect the dots could not see how drugs and alcohol had ripped all these i had went to school i was a college graduate you know like all this stuff man could not even see how perhaps maybe that every time any of this stuff happened to me what was in the equation were drugs or alcohol you know any of the fights any of the arrests you know any of the job losses you know i don't need that job i make as much money serving i'm just gonna go do that right you yeah. know, All lower that. in that bar, lower yeah. in that bar. Rationalizing it the whole way through justification, rationalization. Is, yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. It, yeah, losing jobs, same thing, you know, but it wasn't that, you know. And today I know I lost those jobs because I was couldn't stay sober. Yeah, uh, But at the time I, I couldn't see it. I, yeah. I couldn't accept it or something. There was some block. Yeah. That, yeah. that wouldn't allow that stuff to get through. I'm yeah. okay. Yeah. I think that's the disease, uh, you know, keeping itself alive 
Um, but I also think that's ourselves keeping us alive. Mm. You know, I, I honestly believe that. That's a good point. <clears throat> I thought of that. Yeah. Yeah, we, uh, like you were saying, I, I could tell people, you know, I've been married for a long time, two kids, two cars, held my job for a long, you know, had a 20-something year long job. You know, people who had, people who are alcoholics and drug addicts don't have that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, therefore, I am not one. Yeah. Uh, I'm doing good. I got this. Yeah. Absolutely. Never as bad as them. You know, it's like, uh, uh, reminds me of uh, what what Bill thought of Ebby, you know? Um, I'm not that guy. Yeah. Like, that's who Ebby was, was I'm not that bad. I'm not that guy. Uh, and I could always find someone else that helped me make the exception yeah could always you know hit a lick or or do something that would equal a couple hours maybe a couple days of being okay um but yeah it was never it was never okay you know i had a had a little girl uh, my daughter you know, at the, sadly, I don't even know what age she was, but I know it started when she was six, uh, that eventually CPS took her, you know, as they rightfully should. Um, and she ended up going to foster homes and living with my sister for a little while and then moving to Florida with, uh, with her dad's mom. Um, and through those times where I was like, no, it's good. No, we're good. You know, every day, you know, what do I have to do today? Who do I have to lie to? What, what do I got to do to be okay today? Um, and in that like total bubble of selfishness and needing to be okay, needing me to be okay, needing to feel okay, needing not to feel and whatever it was, what about that little girl? You know? It was never okay. Um, I'm grateful now, you know. I know that I've talked to her multiple times um, because it comes up in conversation. She's been with me since she was 15, uh, back with me. I lost her. I'm going to go with around six or seven just because I know, like, when she was six, you know, she ended up, finding me overdose mm. and so I think that that was the beginning you know that was the beginning of whatever it looked like until she was gone but today it's different you know not only do I have her but um, her sister and I call her my daughter too you know like that's those are my daughters mm. um, and I get to see them grow I mean, she's 19 now. Wow. Yeah. And Daphne's 20. And that's amazing because they're becoming adults. But I miss so much. And she missed having a mom. Both of them, you know. 
Daphne, of course, had her mom, and she was awesome. But, you know, I know that I was put in that little girl's life for a reason. Right. But Kaylin tells me without going through everything that I went through, and, and we say it a lot, you know, in the rooms, and we say it to each other, without all of that, I wouldn't have this. Right. You know, I wouldn't be this person now. And that's, I get it, you know, but that's a lot. Yeah, that's a heavy load. Yeah. When you start impacting, you know, that's one, I think, all, a lot of us is uh, impacting children and our parents. But yeah. Especially our children. I certainly had, you know, there was a period of time when my children were scared to stay with me. Yeah. And, uh, and, and they were right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was not safe. I was not a safe parent. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, this program has earned that back. Yeah. And, uh, I think it built us back like the, what was it, the $5 million man or what What was he? What was the name? $6 million man. Is it six? Okay, yeah. Um, better, stronger, you know. Um, I, we wouldn't be the parents that we are today if it wasn't for this program. People go through their whole lives and they don't get anything close to what we get. Yep. You know, they just wander on the surface, just kind of wander around on the surface, you know, yeah. and they may have moments here and there. Uh, but when you escape death and you escape that dark hole, you know, and you see the sunlight, man, and you stick in this program, you do what it says, you know, uh, by doing what is prescribed, um, taking the actions and continuing to keep a person that you're taking through the program, that you're talking to on a regular basis, you know, being able to be that close um, and continuing to, to grow those connections. Like you can't, it's for me, I can't tell you something and try to guide you in a certain way or talk to my friends and lie to everybody and do the exact opposite. Like, there's no way I would be sick to my stomach. Like, I think that's what people mean when they talk about, like, the pain becomes great enough. You'll either get in the middle of AA or else you'll drink again. I think that's where it comes from, you know. Yeah. I always talk about, like, uh, folding the napkins. So, uh, you know, Tim, uh, he'd say, Tim Hyland, he talks about um, quiet AA. Um, and I always like look at that as folding napkins. So as a server down at a restaurant downtown, um, and you have to fold napkins, like that's part of your out duties. When you get done with your shift, you got to fold these napkins. I hate folding napkins. Like it is the worst I hate. Um, and you got to do 50 or hundred and that's a lot of napkins. Nobody wants to do that. Um, but when I first got sober and I was working there, man, you know, and I thought about it uh, and they talked about, you know, what are, what are you doing when nobody's looking? When you're walking down the hallway, there's nobody to the left or the right, front or behind. And you see a piece of paper as simple as that. Are you going to walk by it or are you going to pick it up? You know, and then, and folding those napkins. Yeah, I can go lie to them. Be like, yeah, I got them. They're folded. I put them away. Right. But I'm the one that's left with what what does Rachel's integrity look like? Yeah. Like, who who are you as a pride? I know it's only napkins, but guess what? That's how it started with us, right? Yep. I know I'm not going to do this because it's a terrible thing. 
oh, you do with them what something once, and you're like, oh my god, that was so bad. Can't believe I did that. What a horrible thing. Oh, it was terrible. The next time you're like, oh, I wish I didn't have to do that again. You know, the next time it's like, eh. And then it's like, oh, this is what I do. Yeah. And whatever that horrible thing is, whether it's stealing, lying, cheating, whatever it is, um, it becomes the norm. And actually it turns into something that you do to survive. And so it works the same way, you know, with recovery. Mm -hmm. Are you going to fold the napkins? You know? So we fold napkins. Yeah. That's all we got to do. Yeah. Fold the napkins. Yeah. And you can go lie to them about what you did. Mm Mm-hmm. You can't get away with lying to you. No. I can't get away to lie with lying to me. Yeah. No, I know I didn't fold those napkins. Yeah. Yeah. I got to the point where I would go and be like, I, I have not folded napkins. I want to know if I can go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just happy be medium? honest here. Yeah. Is that a happy medium? They'd be like, no, go fold your napkins. Okay. I'm doing that then. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That, uh, <clears throat> that old thing of what, you know, characters what you do when nobody's looking mm-hmm. yeah uh, and, and i spent most of my life the opposite way around when yeah. nobody was looking you can guarantee you that i wasn't doing what i should be air quotes should be doing yeah uh i did a really good job of putting up a front that made you think and, and i did a decent you know i had to be careful with that even in recovery of being this con man thing to yeah. Making people believe that I was okay, even when I wasn't. Yeah. You know, certainly one of the things about getting into the program was that those people see through that. Yeah. Right? Uh, folks outside of the program, I could pull off that stuff yeah. a lot of times, you know, and, and make you think I was okay. Uh, there was a lot of people that were shocked that I was in the shape that I was in when I come to the end. Uh, because that guy didn't, you know, I didn't look like that guy. Yeah. I wasn't really beat up and, and chewed up and spit out, but I was suffering every bit of the same. Yeah. And it's kind of that whole thing about at least all these different journeys, you know, to, from the proverbial under the overpass and homeless to a uh, suburban kid, you know, disease does not discriminate. And, and, no. And, and it will win. Well. Any person on the spectrum of society, uh, you don't have a fighting chance. No. You don't. You don't get to say when it's over. Uh, if we could have picked our sobriety date, yeah, we'd have picked one a long time ago, I bet. Yeah. I would have. I'd have picked one before, you know, Kaylin found me dead. Yeah. You know, I'd have, I'd have picked one before I was sitting in that holding cell as my holding cell as my mom was having grandma's seizures, you know. I'd have picked one before I lost my place in the college I was at. You know, I'd have picked one before a lot of stuff, man. Yep. But I didn't, I didn't have the power. You know, my, my sobriety date was picked for me and it was given as a gift. You know, and we get... At that point, you know, I see and I've I've thought about, I think a lot of us have uh, over and over again, like, what is the magic formula? What is it? Why does this one stay sober? And why does that one not, you know, and Mm -hmm. and what's that magic formula? And what do you have to have all at the same time in order to get those three days, you know, just enough time away that you can begin stepping in the rooms and hearing, 
You know, what is it that they have to have? And I wish I knew. You know, I, I do because I'd have given it to quite a few people. Yeah, I'd be I'd be walking around handing it out if I could figure that out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that 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 is a mystery that I struggle with, and one of the things that I like. <clears throat> I do some work with men and stuff and, and men's work outside of the program, some other men's work type of programs. Mm-hmm. I think when Bill says in there to continue to grow. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and when I, and I like to continue to improve my conscious contact and I can stop right there. Yeah. Uh, I do agree to continue to improve my conscious contact with, with my higher power. I, I get that too, but also improve my conscious contact with the world. Yeah. With my felt, with my brothers with my friends, with my parents, with my kids, continue to improve my conscious contact. And one of the ways I do that is with working with other men. Yeah. And, uh, and, and to try to take that shame element off of the relapse is a tough thing too, you know, because that's, a, that's, that kills people of being, of relapse. And we had a guy, you know, and well, it's easy enough. To, I feel funny saying it, but I'm just going to say it anyway. Uh, we had a guy come back in last night in, in our home group meetings on Tuesday nights and admit that he had, slipped he yeah. he but it, you know it was just a few weeks ago and he's in here telling on himself you know so all that's the the deal you know yeah. and i want there's a piece inside of me that wants to be mad at him yeah you know and, but there's also a piece of me going no that is not what we do here yeah uh that just run that guy back out the door you know getting angry at him because i remember bumping into some people because i played this deal for about four years of coming in i'd say bouncing off the hall bouncing down the halls off the walls of aa yeah i had a big period towards the end where i was pretending to be sober uh i was doing a lot of sneaking around and 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 like you said my sobriety date was similar like you said i didn't pick it i actually had to go back and realize when was the last time i drank because i was doing this little sporadic thing i couldn't drink I was, not, I was doing everything I could do not to drink when my kids were with me. Yeah. You know? But when they weren't with me, yeah. then I could slide off and disappear from the face of the earth because I couldn't let anybody catch me because I was in some legal, a lot of legal trouble and should not have been, you know, I was out on bail and things like that, and you shouldn't be doing that when yeah. you're out on bail. Yeah. And they uh, frown upon it. Yeah. Yes, they do. And so I was doing a lot of that dancing around, and uh, and and I had some people pull up sharp with me at times, and it did run me off. Because I'm a guy, when you pull up on me, I'm bolt. My my conflict resolution tool is bolt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm no leaving. more conflict. Right. It's back there. Yeah. And I didn't make any, you know, I've learned that's been a reoccurring thing in my relationships yeah. with women. Uh, in, my, in, in my marriage specifically, I was married for 17 years. Uh, that whenever something pulls up like that, I fly off. I leave. You know, and, uh, and, and, uh, and so when I got pulled up on NAA about screwing around, and not taking this seriously, well, my tool was to screw you. I ain't coming I'm back out. here yeah. again. You know, yeah, and you that guys are gonna miss people me. like me. Yeah, you know, because now I bumped out. Now I get it. And those people did not mean to do that. That yeah. was not their intent. to call you out because yeah. sometimes there is that tough love that needs to be communicated to saying, "Hey, I'm not gonna pat you on the bottom, little boy." Yeah, you know, uh, and, and this little boy was 45 years old, but that's what I was. And that's what I was acting like. Yeah. Uh, and I, they weren't going to pat me on the bottom, but but I both, you know, that's that's just the thing. So I try not to be that guy today. Although I'm, I will pull up on you too. I try to do it in a really loving way. Uh, fact of the matter is, as I know too many damn dead people today. Yeah. As a result of playing with this thing. Yeah. And, and that's the 
truth. Uh, I thought they were being, I thought they were being a little over dramatic when people first started telling me that. Uh, I'm not. I, I never knew death the way I know death today since coming into into recovery and yeah. watching that people really do die. There's not a week that goes by I don't know somebody at least a step or two away from my degrees of separation. Yeah. Uh, that 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 died that succumbed to this disease. Um, I don't know how I got down that path on that, but uh, oh, I know is that magic wand. You know, yeah. It's how to have that and, and allow people their journeys, right? Yeah. Uh, of, of going, okay, you know, uh, that's not really the suggested course we have here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the number one, our number one kind of thing is not to not drink and not use. Yeah. Uh, but I get it. It's not everybody can uh, do that. Now, I mean, it's interesting to look at that dynamic of who makes it and who don't. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the stuff people say they just weren't ready. Well, really, I'm not sure ready applies. I get that. I, I yeah, get I it. I get it. Are, there are some people that are like, I'm just done. I'm so tired. There are people like that's not my story. Um, but I do hear people say that uh, there's all different. Like that's that's the thing is we can't have to just concede that there is no magic formula. Um, some people had to go near death and you know and and i have a sponsee that you know didn't hit a bottom and they really rocked him he knew he's alcoholic mm-hmm. but the consequences weren't there and we're in rooms talking about consequences and his disease is telling him you're not that bad yeah yeah but he's uh celebrating two years in september so uh that's good it didn't make any difference yeah uh, all that was just details. Do this work, and and the miracle will happen. Absolutely, it's a guarantee to me. I had a guy tell this people on a podcast kind of get a little tired of maybe hearing some of these stories over and over. But um, I had a friend tell me that he could guarantee me that if I was an alcoholic in the way that he was, that I would, if I worked these steps and applied these principles into my life, my life would get a whole lot better. Yeah. And that was like on the first night I walked into a room, the first night. Yeah. And he looked down on me. It's kind of funny because I have this, I have this perspective that's different. I'm a pretty tall dude. I could swear this guy was looking down on me, talking to me. Mm-hmm. Now I know him today, and he's shorter than me. But the feeling was that this guy was looking down on me, telling me this stuff, and he had such big brown angelic eyes and such a soft demeanor, and he just said it so plainly and matter of factly. That here, let me tell you something, Dan. If you're the kind of alcoholic that I am, if you will work these steps and practice these principles in your life, your life's going to get a whole lot better. Yeah. And I can guarantee you something else. If you're an alcoholic like I am and you don't, your life is going to get a whole lot fucking worse. Yeah. And, uh, and I couldn't hear it that day. Yeah. It was too early. I wasn't ready. Yeah, but you carried it with you I and did. now you're sharing yeah. it. Yeah, you know? yeah, and I will talk. I will mention that guy. These 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 angels. Uh, do you ever listen to Bob Earl? He's an old speaker. That he's, sounds familiar. Yeah, he's got a lot of tapes, and he yeah. kind of rocked a. He kind of got blackballed from AA for a little bit because he liked to talk about life. He didn't necessarily stay in the alcohol mm-hmm. arena. He talked about trying to stay sober living, yeah. which is pretty typical today. 
Yeah. But he got sober in 62 and like through the 80s and stuff when he was speaking some, uh, it wasn't necessarily cool. Mm-hmm. But uh, he talks about Eskimos. He has a story. He talks about Eskimos that come into his life. And mm-hmm. the story that he talks about, you've probably heard the Eskimo story about the two guys sitting in a bar in Alaska, sitting on a, drinking, and one guy's a hardcore religious fella, and one guy was an atheist. And the atheist told the religious guy, I don't believe in your God. And the religious man asked, why not? I was stuck out in a snowstorm. And I knelt down and prayed to God to help save me, deliver me out of this snowstorm. And the religious guy said, well, by God, God, man, you have to believe you're sitting here with me. And he said, nah, some goddamn Eskimo come by and brought me back to town. (laughs) And that's why he says about the Eskimo story, because I see these Eskimos in my life, too, and I love that. These people came in and had an impact on me, just like this gentleman that I'm speaking of that gave me those two guarantees that things were either going to get a lot better or get a lot worse. Yeah. And uh, and I can carry that as a part of my story today when I'm trying to help people get better because I believe that guarantee applies. And, it, and, it, and he was very prophetic in that, too, because yeah. uh, my life did get a lot worse. Yeah. Over the fall, ensuing four years, I came into AA on what was basically... You know, I've been court-ordered when I was a kid, but I don't really count that. I didn't have a third tradition under my belt. Yeah. I didn't have a desire to stop. Yeah. I had a desire to check the box and turn in the card at court and get my ass feathers put out so I could go back to doing what I wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, and in uh, 2011, I came in with that third tradition, which I didn't know that then. I can say that today. Mm-hmm. I came in really wanting to stop, but it was basically off a bad weekend. And, uh, you know, when I finally got here, I was coming in under felony charges and, and looking at prison sentences and, and things like that. So my life changed a lot yeah. in those four years. Yeah. Uh, what ended up bringing you down? Um, Department of Corrections. Legal. DOC. That's right. Um, so as things always do um, for people like me, alcoholics and active use addicts whatever you want to call us um, out there in the madness it just slowly progresses over time and gets worse and at some point I became unemployable Um, I couldn't wait tables anymore they wouldn't hire me couldn't be there couldn't go you know wasn't making enough money and so I began to do anything that I could to make money and that one of those things was to sell um, pills, sell heroin at the end there, um, anything I could sell. Wasn't good at selling crack. I like to smoke all that, so <laughs> didn't sell much of that. Um, but I did have a undercover informant wear a wire on me, and I sold some Percocet 30s to him three different times. Three different times. And um, they came. Where did they find us? I don't know how. We were at this hotel where we, I was selling at that. It's like, it's, so that happened. And then you're a year down the road or something. I'm at this hotel with my sister and her son. I think we were just selling. Maybe I was coming to sell her some. Um, and that was heroin at that time. And the police came for some reason. I don't know if they called because we had too many people coming in and out. I'm not sure. Uh, but they ran my name 
And they were like, Miss Washington, uh, you have sealed indictments, three counts. And I was like, no, you've got the wrong person. Can't possibly be me. Like, I was committing at least ten felonies a day on a regular basis. That's a, that's a day for me. Uh, but I was like, no, there's no way. Because like, you really didn't know, right? Uh, no, it's a sealed indictment. I didn't know they were so wearing they, wires. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And uh, I was so, like, the delusion was so great that I literally had people on the outside while I'm getting arrested and all this, you know, going going to jail looking for somebody named Rachel Washington that was around us that this could possibly be with the sealed indictment. Yeah. Yeah, it was bad. Um, There's got to be another of me someplace. There's got to be somebody else that they're talking about. There's no way it's me. It was clearly me. It was definitely my voice on that recorder. And I was definitely the person that did those things. Uh, Sold those pills. I didn't even know the person. It was somebody, somebody's boyfriend, a girl that I worked with, boyfriend, don't even know their names. Couldn't pick them out of a lineup. Couldn't tell you. I have no idea. Um, But it was. It probably wasn't any of that, really, right? If it was a wire and everybody, all that, who knows what the real story behind it was? You could have been completely set up. Uh, Yeah, no, I have no idea. Um, But they had said that there was issues with like a couple that was wearing wires on people, like to get out of charges. I'm not even sure. Hmm. It doesn't matter. What matters is, um, you know, after attempting to do probation, um, which for seven months, ridiculously, like kept taking clean urine in there. Um, and regardless of whether you have clean urine, if you are like smoking crack and using heroin in nine, in seven months time, the probation officer is going to be able to look at you and know that that's what's going on. Yeah. Just like the people in the rooms, they don't, you really don't pull that over on them. Yeah. No. Um, and she, she said, I, popped positive for all these things and part of them like i didn't even smoke weed like i stopped doing that years ago but she said that it uh, was positive for weed and this and that and like we do and minimize stuff i was like oh yeah the opiates are a uh i had a tylenol 3 you know i think it was in my mom's cupboard she had it left over from you know and then she was like, well, where did this cocaine come from? And I was like, I have no idea about the weed. That That's weird. Um, she's like, what about this cocaine? She's like, yeah, actually, I had a weak moment. You know, one of my friends, I just did this tiny line. And I'm doing heroin and smoking crack. You know? In fact, I had, like, I did half of it before I came to see her. Like, half my bag and put the other half in my mom's couch. Because mm-hmm. I was going to get it when I came back. Um, I did not leave probation and parole that day on my own free will. Mm. In fact, I was cuffed um, and in the back of a cruiser. So, yeah, eventually, like, the only way I can explain what happened next is... Looking back now, I feel like it was an unknown surrender. So, I was unaware that I had surrendered after that happened um but everything was different when i was in jail that time i didn't care if i got phone calls i didn't care if i got visits i didn't care if there was money on my books i didn't care if i had the remote if i watched what i wanted to i didn't care about the food i didn't care you know what i mean 
Like, I literally just sat there, and I remember looking, like, sitting in that same bunk that I had sat in before, you know, the last go-round. I'd been in there six months, man, and looking out, I can still see it, you know? Looking out across the way at the tower and, you know, where we we walk the loop. Um, and I just stared, and I wasn't looking at anything, you know? And I, I remember being able to... Like, I'm, I'm witnessing myself. I'm watching myself like a third party. Um, just seeing myself sitting there. And I didn't talk much. And um, <clears throat> someone came to visit. And they were like, you know, they think, uh, I think they're going to offer you um, rehab. Well, I didn't think I had a problem. Uh, so I'm not going to need rehab. There is nothing wrong with me or what I'm doing. I always thought it was a phase. It was going to end. This wasn't going to last forever. I'm just having fun. Like all those things that you say. And, and as I'm sitting there, instead of saying that, because that's what I knew and believed and had been living my life as and what I said a million times before that, I looked straight at him and was like, well, maybe I need it. And that was not me saying that, mm. you know. Um, I'd done the whole like, we moved places. I went, it was Jasmine County, so you, they like move you around. But I was in, uh, I guess, Taylor County or Taylorsville or something outside of Elizabethtown. Um, and I'd went to where the, before they had transferred me there, I went to where the judge was in pretrial. I was back there behind uh, Judge Daughtry's bench. I was getting ready to go up there and see him. And, and previously being there, I'd done the jail math. So jail math. You know, like how long you've been there if you're now a state inmate, you know, versus the time you've already spent in and, you know, good time. You got 721 and this is how long you're going to go before you go up to parole. Parole paroles you. You walk the streets day for day on your sentence. So they had given me five for five. They had dropped my C down to a D, charged me with a D felony, five years of probation for five years on the shelf. So if I mess up, I'm going to prison for five years. But once I did my jail math, I'd be out in three months, right? <laughs> they were offering me a long-term six to nine-month program, which sounds better to you. Lay it on down. Time to go to prison. This will be fine. I heard it's better than jail anyways, right? All that stuff. Wow. All that stuff, man. Uh, but that tre- pre-trial lady came back, and uh, I, I wish I... I wonder if she's still there. She was nice, and um, when she asked me, if I wanted to go to treatment again, somebody was, I'd done the jail math. It was right. Um, I said, yes. I don't know why. I don't know why. Uh, but that brought me to the healing place, um, December 6th, 2013. I wanted to go anywhere. I wanted to go to Lexington. My mom needed my help. I needed to be near my sister. You know, all those things, man. Um, grace, grace and mercy. If I'd have been, if I'd have gone to Lexington, I, I, I doubt very seriously if I would be in any state close to what I am now. I'd have ran. I'd have got people to bring me drugs. I'd have thought I could have get away with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I got to done that. Yep. I'd have done that for sure. Another bell ringer and a. The book says some about spiritual axioms. I just steal that term of us. Like what, what I, what I want. Probably is not what I need. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. I I like that once in a while when a guy will come needing help or whatever, and they will say, you know, well, I want to go to this rehab facility, and that's like I like, well, that's probably not the right one then. Yeah. 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 Whatever you're thinking right now, it's the opposite. It's something else. Yeah. Yeah. Do the opposite. Yeah. It'll work out. Right. Yeah. And I like uh, another friend of mine gave me a thing of a. Uh, I like it. He says a. Uh, it was it was a third party intervention. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's why I think about whenever you, like, saying yes to rehab was not your idea. It just was what happened. Yeah. Uh, one time I was talking and there was a whole lot of things that I don't know how that happened. Things happened. But I have no idea how they happened. You know, and today I believe it was that third party intervention. That, yeah. Uh, divine intervention. God, call it what you will. Yeah. Uh, it uh, comes in and, and saves us. Yeah. It's like... Hold on a second. Why don't you sit this one out? You're not doing very well with what I've given you. Um, I'm just going to take over for a minute. Yeah. Don't worry. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense, man. It does. Thank, thank God. Thank God for that. Healing places saved a lot of people. Yeah. It took... Um, It took about two weeks before I completely bought into that program. Um, when you get court ordered to a rehab place, you can do uh, 186 days or so, I was told, 186 or 183. And once you reach that amount, you can write your judge and explain to him that you've gotten so much out of this program, done very well, and you want to be released from it. Um, and so I thought, well, you know, if I don't wrap this up in six months, uh, write my judge. Uh, and in jail, you don't count the day you're in, and you don't count the day you're out. Uh, those two days are gone. They're only part days. Hmm. So I began counting days, and I think I got to three. I got to three days, marking them off my calendar. I got the third, the third mark. Um. And I thought, you know, I, I, I didn't hear the word God, really weird story, didn't see it on the wall, didn't hear, didn't hear it. We say it when we open the meeting and when we close the meeting, and I'm sure a lot in between. Um, didn't see it on the steps, didn't see it in the tradition, like I did not see that. Um, because who knows, you know, who knows what my attitude would have been if I saw it. I don't know how I didn't see it, I just didn't. Hmm. Um but up, up around third day, um, you know, I, I said, I said like this prayer to whatever it is. Um, I was like, you know, if, if you're real, then how have, how, how do I not feel the pain that I've caused that little girl? Um, and I went to happy hour that day, a little, little while into happy hour, maybe halfway through. Um, I began crying. Um, something I shared or something someone shared, man, and it touched me deep. And I spent the next three hours, like, in detox, sitting in my bed just crying with an in insane amount of pain and broken heart. You know? And that was, that was the beginning. That was the beginning. I saw it through the girls. Like these amazing, that place still, 
I walk into that place, man, I go in that community room in that circle, and I used to, you know, work in, uh, in the middle, you know, when we work a regular job or when you're working security and you're going back up to your room at night and you get off at 11, uh, walking by that community room and all the lights are off and the, the tiles make a big circle in the middle of it, and I used to go in, in the middle of that circle and I'd get on my knees and i pray. You know, and that, that place is full of God. And I understand that. Like, I can feel it. I can feel the energy. It's absolutely incredible. And it took, took a little bit. But once, you know, once these little things happened after that, you know, that whole thing with crying from a child and the pain I'd caused her, um, little by little it was... I thought the peer mentors were like staff members and I'm obviously don't like authority figures. So I didn't want to listen to anything they had to say, <laughs> you know, crazy man. Uh, but when there was girls sitting next to me that had come in right before me or come in right after me um, and they began to share gratitude and I would look at them and I would think to myself, I think that she actually is grateful. Like, I believe that she means that, you know, and that, like, that's the first little bit of truth that came in, you know, and then besides believing that you're being honest about how your gratitude, then I started finding my own gratitude within their gratitude. It's just a little bit, you know, just these little tiny pieces, little by little, just handing you these little pieces. Um, yeah. And so I was grateful for their gratitude. And I got some of my own gratitude, you know. And I was amazed that people would tell these stories. And, and soon enough, you just wait a little while, man. You go to enough meetings. You sit in enough, you know, recovery classes. You're going to hear somebody tell your story. Right. There's going to be a piece. And it's going to be loud. It's going to be clear. You know, eyes wide open or just barely squinting. You're still going to be able to see that. And that's what happened. And then I began to share too. And then, you know, like at that point, it was like, all right, you know, what, what is it? What is it? What is it? You know, like, I'm going to give this a shot, man. These people are so happy and they're genuine. They're authentic. Like, they're authentic. And they don't want anything. from. I've never had that. I've always thought if I do this, eventually you're going to give me this. This is going to benefit me because of this. And anybody else, because I had that attitude about everybody that I was around and anybody that I messed, messed with, oh, I thought you were the same too. A bunch of them probably were. But, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that was a beautiful thing. Um, and then I just took and did what the people told me, you know? Told me I had to get a sponsor. Told me I had to call her every day. So now uh, it's beginning to build these things, um, these new patterns, right? We don't ask people for things. We don't, we don't tell people the truth. We don't ask for pavers. We don't ask for help. We got this on our own. We can do this. But now you've put me in a position where I have to walk up to a complete stranger and ask them to sponsor me. You know? And I, I asked, I think, three or four people before I got to Amy. Um, and she, 
shared her heart. Like I felt that. Uh, she was in happy hour and I felt that, man. And so now I'm going to have to ask her. And, and they told me I got to call her every day. So I don't have a phone. You know, I don't have money. But you're allowed to, if you ask and you're going to call your sponsor, you're allowed to make that call. So now every day I've got to ask another person to help me, right? I don't know how to do certain things or certain roles in that house. Well, now I've got to ask people, how do, how do I do this? Or, or what am I allowed to do here? Or can I do this? You know, it started with detox. We weren't allowed to open the refrigerator. We had a refrigerator person. You know, we had a, also, you, you were an OTS one or below. You couldn't open the microwave or push the buttons on it. You had to ask a phase girl to help you. And like those little things, man, you're building these new patterns for me. Like you're helping me and I don't even know that you're helping me. And I may, you know, begrudgingly, can you open the microwave for me? Will you piss? Press two, you know? Yeah. Or else you can go the other way. Is anybody looking? Guess not. I guess I'll do this, right? But for whatever reason, all the life before, I had been so good at complying, you know? You don't ask questions when you're in jail. You just do what they tell you to, you know? That's what you do. Um, there's a lot of different instances. That drug dealer tells you where to meet him, what you need to do, how you need to bring it. If he needs you to bring it all in quarters, I guarantee you I would bring it all in quarters. Yeah. I'm good at complying. And, like, that helped me, you know, until I was allowed to make these patterns, like, solidify, you know? That's an amazing thing. Yeah, I love those little, you know, we talk about, like, how this works or whatever, and there's some, you know, I don't know how this really works. Mm -hmm. But you, you touched on some things there, you know, and those are, those are like the little seeds, the little things that, like, are, Seems so innocuous, really. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like, you know, yeah, humbling myself to ask you for help. To say, okay, hey, I need some help here. Whatever it is. Yeah. And I didn't know the thing about the pushing the buttons and opening the refrigerators. That's new, new yeah. information to this guy. Yeah. But I get it completely. Because, you know, it is. It's some of this. Frankly, I, I don't get to do it my way anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have to start doing it some other way and it boils down to that little cliche thing and my way's not working yeah and we're yeah. going to teach you another way and we're going to do it with some real simple things at first yeah. some real simple things yeah that's amazing and it's it's totally divine inspired like that whole thing uh jay davidson he is an amazing man like i love him to death you know he started he started the healing place back in the 80s um, he's just, he's in recovery himself um, and just being around him. He's done so much work on it. It's those people, you know, you just, you just stand a little bit close to him, man. And you can feel just feel it. it. You just feel it coming off of them. The peace, Miss Pearl. She's another one. I just get anywhere close to her or talk to her for a minute. It's just like, whew. yeah, it's like that a layer of dust. Just, you know, when you relax your shoulders, just kind of falls to the ground. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I speak about that here fairly regularly. You know, I had some opportunities where I bumped into people early in my life that gave me that feeling, but I had no idea what it was then. Yeah. You know, and like today, I can know what it is. And that feeling, the human energy, because that was something that was completely gone to me. Yeah. Completely blocked to be able to be in the presence of another human 
and really feel you. Yeah. Uh, and, and to be able to do that today is one one of the million other blessings of that, you know, of, of knowing. Because I've seen you when you step out of the car and you stood out and you smiled, you know, and I felt you. Mm. And I knew you a little bit pretty quickly. Yeah. You know, and all that would gone by me in the past. Yeah. You know, uh, I would have other thoughts and different things that weren't healthy. And uh, and today that deal that I get, I get, and I'll get them right now a little bit, and I'll usually get them in here. I get these physical tingles that come up the back of my skull. Up my neck, yeah, and then they like pull right in the back of my head, and I and it's like a buzz, yeah. Uh, and I'll get them when I'm around people, yeah. And it's like, and then and like if I and when I'm getting them, I don't want you to leave, yeah, <laughs> yeah, stay here, yeah. Uh, I had a guest in not long ago played a drum in here and sang to me, yeah. And I mean, I was just like, I mean, like a cat getting patted, I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, oh. But I know what you mean. That 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 per, that energy that we have, you know, it's kind of like that old, we're all one connected yeah. thing. And when we actually allow ourselves, because I got to put a lot of shit down. I got to put a lot of stuff down to be able to get that. Yeah. I got to comb out a lot of that stuff that blocks me, that mm-hmm. blocking that sunlight stuff, before I get to be able to. You know, that's all clogging up the filter. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta clean the filter before I get to do that. Uh, I know a couple of those people too. I've listened to a couple. Of, uh, Pearl was spoke one time a couple of years ago at the Fall City Convention, maybe. Probably, yeah. Miss Pearl's been around quite some yeah, time. Yeah, for a while. I know I caught her then. Uh, I just celebrated five, so I feel real new. Yeah. Still. Yeah, uh, I understand. Remember when we were like. Uh, not even a year sober, and people would have like three years. You'd be like, "Whoa, whoa, man! That yeah. guy's got three years. Yeah. That's crazy." Yeah. You know. Uh, yeah, and I couldn't even begin to comprehend people that were in the teens and thirties and yeah. things like that. You know, when Had I got my, when close. I got with my sponsor, and he come, you know, it's again I didn't pick him; mm-hmm. he picked me. And I don't really know, you know, because that kind of goes contrary to that thing you just said, you know. But however, this dynamic, I poured my heart out one day in a meeting. And I hadn't, but I bowled over, kind of like your moment of that release of the pain. Yeah. Uh, you know, I see that big time as a turning point thing where you had to, that was a big cleaning of the filter kind of thing. That pain had to be experienced yeah. in order for you to move past that point. Yeah. Or else you were stuck. Yeah. And you prayed for it. Yeah. You asked for it. Yeah. Whatever it <laughs> yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. You said. Like in a sassy way. Why can't I feel right. that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, and it's interesting, too, because, you know, a lot of times when we don't, I don't know what I'm doing praying, right? I still don't. Yeah. But I certainly didn't then. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, if in my heart I'm actually in the right, you know, that that is, if that's there, uh, the universe will, 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 will provide for me in that way, you know. And so I had that moment where I, because I was okay. I was coming to meetings telling everybody I was okay. That was my deal. You know, I was looking at six to 20 years in prison and uh, and it wasn't getting any better. My judge, the judge, my attorney and the prosecutor all were certain that was, that was going to happen. <clears throat> and, and my attorney was saying, man, you just might as well, you know, you're just spending money uh, with me. 
carrying this thing out and uh for something in my heart wouldn't let that happen and i kept on pushing it out and pushing it out until i finally broke one day and and the floodgates come open in a men's meeting and i told those men the truth yeah and and there was a turning point for me because uh, i kept it in and kept it in and uh and that guy come up to me and and i wanted to ask him that's who i wanted to be my sponsor but i hadn't had the guts to ask him mm-hmm. and and uh and we do a thing where we raise our hands in our meeting is he everybody who's available will sponsor a man through steps right now please raise your hand so that way people can see okay that guy's rose his hand uh his he raised his hand so good chance he'll say yes if i ask him uh but i couldn't do that and that guy never raised his hand and he come to me after that meeting and picked me but when he said he was 30 something years sober you know I, well that ain't gonna work because <laughs> that distance is so broad like you said you know three years seemed like a lot right mm-hmm. and uh 30 seemed like like uh, one of my other favorite speakers are always says there's got to be a lost weekend in there someplace yeah yeah i like how you said too that uh when you saw those girls talking and sharing you know we don't buy it at first do we no we're like yeah that's just talk yeah that's just we've been doing this talking all our lives yeah and yeah then, then you're, you're good at that you're good at your manipulation tactic way to go yeah sounds good yeah yeah and uh but then there's a moment where you're like or or creeping and you know like you said it comes bit by bit sometimes or whatever yeah. and and you go hold on this is starting to look real yeah i'm beginning to believe this and yeah. you'd shared something about having gratitude of your own and i'm not sure how that came to you if it come to you like that I, people were started showing it to me. Those people who I were were happy started showing me where good things were happening for me, and were saying, you know, they were handing me my own my gratitude. Yeah. They were showing me things I couldn't see, and that's kind of I think it falls under that old Chuck C thing of uh, new pair of glasses. Yeah. I was starting to be able because I could yet to see them. Yeah, they were my eyes. Yeah, and and they would say, hey, did you see that? Yeah, and, I'd, and 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 I would doubt it at first, but then it become too much to ignore. Yeah, and, and started believing, you mm-hmm. know, that come start began to come to believe mm-hmm. that all this stuff was true. Yeah, there's um, I was talking to my friend about it the other day. There are so many different philosophies, ideas, religions, um, programs that practice this, you know, attitude of, of gratitude, um, that practice this like positive affirmation that practice these mantra, you know, you, it, it's called different in each thing. Um, but when people do these things, like the effects are real you know just by doing what different bunch of different groups and different people say you know like in in Alcoholics Anonymous we we practice gratitude we attempt to live altruistically you know we try our hardest not to harm other people um, and we fess up and make amends and like we do all those things and because that is such an overriding, positive, warm, bright, 
loving energy, it just surrounds us. You know, and yeah, some people start businesses and they make lots of money. You know, other people continue to work as a cashier and just have that light and they give it to others. Like it looks different. Mm -hmm. It looks different, but it's the same thing, man. Uh, And it's amazing. It's really, really incredible. I wouldn't have been able to convince me had I not began to experience it, not only for myself, but mostly, like you said, I saw it. And, like, I've been taking nostalgic trips back, you know, and looking at my people, you know, three years ago, four years ago, you know, looking at them now versus them then. And I've got this really amazing friend, and her name is Erin, and uh, we were at the the lake house that we were talking about earlier, Um, and she's had a few days, you know, few days out of jail, a few days off, you know, some pretty large amounts of methamphetamines, I think. Um, and she could not sit still, mm-hmm. you know, and we sat at that lake house that, a little while ago, man. And she's just amazing. She has this job that she helps these people that need places to go that are like getting out of a treatment center and they need to find places to go. They need to hook up with different organizations to help pay for things, to help get them in other treatment centers, to get them housing, to get them, you know, places to get their GED, whatever it is. And she does that. And she was sitting there on the porch with us, man. And she got a phone call and it was her judge that, you know, four plus years ago, had sat there and condemned her and sentenced her and, you know, just looked at her with disgust. Asking her to do her a favor, you know, and to help him with an interview. And she plugged herself. She's like, you know, when I finish this school and I get this master's degree in my license, I want to come work in the justice system. And she was like, you get those degrees and you call me because we've got a place for you. You know, and that's it. Yeah. Like, that's real. That's amazing. She could not sit still. Like, I looked at her, I was like, damn, I hope this one makes it. She did. You know. And that's just one of so many incredible stories. And to look at, you know, our own lives. That's crazy. Call them miracles. You know, yeah. it says the book also might say promises. Yeah, uh, I do. I do call them miracles. My sponsor, because I couldn't see the miracles in my life like I was sharing a minute ago, and uh, they were pointing them out to me. Mm. And at a certain point, they were coming so fast that it was really rocking me. Yeah. And my sponsor recommended I start writing them down because I would lose them if I didn't. Yeah. So I today have what's called my miracle list, and it's kind of a long-term gratitude list. Yeah. And some things are bigger than others. Some of them are freaking huge. Yeah. Uh, some of them are mine. They really don't mean anything. I can share it with you, but it doesn't really mean anything to you. But I have that list today, and I add to it. And my sponsor has a little thing where now and again something will happen, and he'll say, add it to the list. 
Yeah. Doing this podcast is one of them. You know, and we all have those miracles. Uh, That's another thing I always try to coax out of my guests here are uh, some of those miracle stories because that's, uh, I'm not sure this is true, honestly. I think it's more of that perception thing Mm -hmm. that a lot of people will say that in the rooms, all they hear about is the people talking about the war stories and the drinking and and that. And, and and, And I don't think that's really true. Uh, I think we hear what we want to hear. Yeah. And, and if I can use that, if the disease can use that to run me off, I'll do that. Uh, but I do like to touch on some of those. And I see you looking at the clock. Do you have an art out? Huh? Do you have a hard out? Um, no, I've got some homework and stuff to do, but I okay. don't have. Because no- I can help you with that if I don't want to keep you any longer than you need to. But I also don't uh, want to, like I said, that prayer about saying what we need to say here. I also don't have a time limit on it. Uh, I just go till we run out of gas or till my guest has to leave or whatever happens. Sure. Yeah. I bet you can think of a few miracles in your life. Oh, good Lord. Yeah, there are um, so many. Um, so many miracles. Like, I think one of the biggest, one of the biggest things, um, you know, I, I said that I got my daughter back. Um, and she's in my life, but I think like the miracle, um, when it comes to her was the day that she, um, so when I overdosed, I had my door locked and at six years old, she had to go get a wired hanger out of her closet. I don't know how she reached it. She had to straighten that wired hanger out. I have no idea how a six year old does that. She had to unlock my door and she found me dead. Thank God we, our roommate was there. Um, she ran and got him. So to make a long story short, they, you know, like she's been gone for 20 minutes. Let's get her out of there. Um, you know, I end up waking up um, in the ambulance. I, I don't know. Um, they take me to the hospital and I'm just a complete jerk. Give me my papers. Let me sign it. Why y'all holding me? I'm going to walk out. All that crap. That little girl... Okay, that six-year-old little girl, she didn't have a sister, a dad, a mom, a friend to hold her while she found her mom dead and be strolled out on a freaking stretcher to tell her it was okay to hug her, to let her fall asleep in their lap, to give him a kiss on the forehead. She had none of those things. When they released me from the hospital... In order for me to get to my room, I had to walk past her room. And that six-year-old little baby was sitting in her top bunk in her bed. I could see her bed when I walked by that room. And I walked straight by that room. I didn't go and crawl in bed with her. I didn't give her a kiss. I didn't give her a hug. I didn't hold her. I didn't tell her I was alive, that I was okay. I didn't ask her how she was feeling, what she was thinking, if she was confused. I walked straight past that little girl's door. And I went back to my room and I did the exact same thing that had just killed me. And that line in the book, an alcoholic in his cup is an unloving creature. Yep. That embodies that for me. Now let's fast forward. Kaylin hadn't come to live with me yet. 
and um, my mom died. She was an alcoholic. Um, by the time she got to the end of her life, she um, she couldn't walk. Um, the alcohol had just not drinking. Her uh, muscle had apathy, or however you say that. It was atrophied. Atrophy. Thank you. Um, she couldn't make it to the bathroom, and so you know those like piddle pads for dogs you know how they have them for humans and she would put them underneath of her and she would just go to the bathroom in her bed and she would pull it out and just throw it on the floor next to her she had a a pile of half gallon drink bottles of vodka sitting next to her bed and um she couldn't take a shower bathe by herself um and she was the most intelligent amazing just beautiful spirited i would anything she knew it all you know, she was an arm wrestling champ. She had jumped out of planes, skydived. She had hitchhiked across the United States. She had done everything. That woman was amazing. And alcoholism had stole that from her. On the night that she died, um, evidently, she was smoking a cigarette. Um, she fell asleep. And uh, the fire started around her knees. My daughter lived about, I don't know, a mile away from her. So as her and her dad were driving to their house, um, they saw the smoke. The closer they got, the more they realized that that looked where my mom's house was. And they pulled up, and sure enough, man, my mom's house was on fire. Um, you know, Kaylin said, I knew mom was in there, uh, or grandma. She knew Grandma was in there. Mom couldn't walk by herself. And when they called me, I collapsed. I cried. Um, I called my sponsor. I called my sister to let her know her mom was dead. And I went to the 1030 meeting at the Ice House. It was a Sunday night. I shared on a burning desire. All I could think about was Johnny letting me talk to my daughter. You know, we lost mom, and I just wanted to know she was okay, and I wanted to comfort her. I wanted to tell her that I love her. And that's a far cry from that woman that walked straight past her daughter's bedroom. She did call me, man, and the, she said, Mom, I knew exactly what you were going to do. I was like, what was that, baby? She said, I knew you'd call Amy. And she knew I'd call Amy, not because I told her that's what I do, but because I was living that program. And now, if anything goes wrong in that child's life, I'm the first person she calls. Me or her sister? I mean, let's be real. Depends on what the situation is, right? Is this a 20-year-old sister thing or is this a almost 40-year-old mom thing? We don't know. Um, She counts on me. She knows she can depend on me. And if there's ever an issue, she knows that we're on the same team, man. Like, I am here for you. And that if she needed me, I would drop everything be by her side yeah that 
is probably one of the biggest miracles. You know? Yeah. That's huge. It's powerful. Yeah. Sad story. Yeah. It gets better, though. There at the end. Yeah. Dust in the eyes. <laughs> yeah. Dusty old wood shops would always blame it on. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I love those stories. Yeah. Um, rebuilding that stuff is... And it's just so powerful to to think about that walk, walking back in that house because I get it. Yeah. So I can know what kind of you know because I know what kind of shame it takes to come back like that. Yeah. And you know, uh, frankly, you couldn't look at her. Yeah, I don't know. Too much shame, too much disease had you. Uh, But then, like you said, you know, that's not where it has to, certainly not where it ends, you know, that's, turns back around. I have conversations with my kids I would have never thought that could have happened. Yeah. And I've been through some things with my daughter that I didn't think I could survive sober. Yeah. Uh, and, And have. And it's, you know, the biggest miracle, to, the, the biggest miracle is that I get to be uh, a son to that father that lives up there. I get to be a, a father to those two children. Yeah. That I was not a father to for a long time. Absolutely. And that's what I hear you saying too. That's, yeah. I always like to change that, you know, those little things about changing our language. Yeah. I get to be those things today. Absolutely. I don't know how to uh, go from there. Yeah. It's a tough act to follow. It's pretty amazing. I've had, um, I guess that's, that's the miracle. Um, the tangible uh, miracles. Uh, I went back to school after being out for 11 years. Got my fourth associate's degrees. I'm still trying to find the person that's going to let me put them all together and make it, you know. Yeah, if we can get a master's degree out of that somehow, you know, y'all help me with that. Square this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just try. Um, But I'm I'm, I'm in school um, to have a bachelor's in psychology minor in marketing, and I'm going to go on to get my master's in social work. Um, bought a house, you know, that, that, that house, you know, got to buy that house and, uh, yeah, I used to pay rent and heroin and sleep on a recliner in a trap house. Yeah. hundred pounds soaking wet. Um, I have this amazing job I was not trying to get. I was just trying to find a job in recovery and, I couldn't get anybody to like hire me and so I'm randomly calling just recovery places I'm putting in all these applications man and uh, one of my sponsees she's not my sponsee anymore gave me this email address and was like hey this is somebody at this new treatment center I was trying to be like um, a chemical dependency technician um, or 
the primary care of the patients, patient engagement specialist, something like that. That's what I was trying to do. Um, but she happened to be on operations side. So when I emailed her and I came in to do an interview, didn't even know what I was going in for. Um, she said she was going to hire me as the receptionist. And I was like, cool. Um, before I even started that job, she called me back and offered me the business office manager's job. Um, don't have any school. Never done that work before. You know, um, I in the healing place, I said that I had done filing and payroll. Well, that, I was a peer mentor. Uh, I put people's names on a spreadsheet and send it to the actual office, you know. And, yeah, we did filing because we check people where they're at, you know, in their steps. Uh, but, yeah. And that was when they had 11 patients, man. Now we have one, two, three, four, five, five facilities. Wow. Um, and we hold 46 inpatients. Um, at Praxis, they have 38. In Oklahoma, they have 48. Um, Carmel, they have 48. In Oklahoma, they have 60. You know? So I've had to grow with that company and watch people in recovery come and get their first job. Mm-hmm. I watched them start their bank accounts. I watched them go back to school. I watched them get their children back. I watched them grow their personal power, be able to say yes and no, come up with ideas that work. That's what I've got to do being, you know, a human resource manager. God has a funny way. I want to work with people like me. You do? Cool. I got this awesome job for you. Yeah. Wait, no, that's not what I meant. I want early sobriety, like trying to get sober, not not the ones with multiple years trying to get jobs. Uh, There you go. Yeah. It's one of those little wink moments. God winks. Yeah. That's like it, you know. That turning loose of what I think I want. Yeah. Just uh, asking God to help you. Yeah. Whether if you know you're asking or not, you know. Like I said, I pray before I do everything today. I don't care what it is, you know, as I go in. It's kind of like almost, I've kind of changed this. Everybody talks to themselves, right? Yeah. I'm I'm glad everybody sort of agreed with me with that. Yeah. I kind of changed that, like when I'm talking to myself, I bend that, and I and I call that prayer. Yeah. And 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 I ask whatever that is to help me. Yeah. You know, uh, and sometimes it's outright prayer to something I don't understand, but I change my self-talk stuff into that same kind of flavor, and it makes me it, it puts me on this plane where I. I'm operating under that asking a higher self mm-hmm. for help. That's not really this dude, you know, and, and it's like feels a little multiple personality kind of thing, Yeah. <clears throat> but, but I don't care I, because that thing does talk to me. And I shared last night is that that thing, there's also one of them that talked to me and tell me crazy shit. Like I was at the pond at the, my, I have this beautiful place in the country where I have men's retreats too. Yeah. And uh, and we just had one last month in May. Uh, this time it was pretty small because of the particular circumstances we got. There's a lot of people didn't want to come, uh, but they made it really really powerful because it yeah. was we were 16 men, 
you know, but I was down there last weekend, Sunday, and I got done working, and I go out to the pond and rinse off, take a bath. It's done sweating for the day, and I lay crawl up on the dock and I lay on that dock, and that boy starts saying, "You deserve a beer." And I can catch that today, but I will negotiate with that little guy for a minute. Yeah. You know, like, well, you know, well, I could get, you know, I could do that. That nobody know. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, I'm, I'm out in the middle of no place. You know, I would have to drive a long ways to just get to, to get a beer, just to get one. There ain't one close. Uh, but that's the boys will still sit there and talk to me. Now I can laugh at that today because I know what that is, and that probably will never leave completely at times. Yeah. Uh, I believe that we have this thing, you know, never cured kind of thing. Yeah. That's what to reminds me that I got to continue to keep treating it. Because if I don't, that voice gets louder. Yeah. That voice will win. Yeah. If I don't keep on doing this thing that keeps it in remission. Yeah. Like telling on it. Yeah. Uh, and saying and, and, and doing that. But, you know, the other side of that is, is there's another voice there that I just negotiate with. Like, it's not really a negotiation. That's not probably the right term, but just... Uh, you know, it's the voice that'll tell me that the, whatever job I'm going out on today is going to be hard. Uh-huh. And I'll say, no, it's not. Yeah. Don't be that way. Stop yeah. Stop with that talk. Yeah. Uh, it's not going to get us anywhere. It's going to be an amazing day. Yeah. This is going to go good. And and so I can turn that into like a prayer like life, you know, even though I do get up in the morning and I do actually ask whatever that power is at times to do the day every day just like i did before we started recording for help and whatever i'm getting ready to go into most of the time it falls just as simply as uh, support me in my recovery whatever that means i don't know yeah i'm willing to accept whatever you have for me yeah we don't know yeah and that was where early on lesson was one of the times whenever i was in trouble and uh and and i'd gotten off and was able to uh I'd gotten reduced down just out of the blue, and I don't know how that happened, but all of a sudden it went from a six years serve three, three on the shelf deal, uh, to home incarceration over a weekend, you know, and I don't yeah. have, now looking back, I see that was at the time that I, I this sponsor had picked me up yeah, and my life was, my trajectory was changing. And when that, for whatever reason, when we get on this path, good stuff starts happening. Yeah. But I couldn't put all that together then. Yeah. Uh, and then I go, but they wasn't going to let me do my home incarceration at home because the last house I got caught breaking into was the people across the street. Yeah. And uh, so I worked out a deal where I was going to do it with my parents' house. I was going to go, I'm 45 years old, and I was going to move back and do my one-year home incarceration sentence with my parents' house. And I went over to straight to my bedroom, and my mom had always struggled with opiates. Um, and she had, she had real pain. She had true stuff going on. Uh, but it, it got her, it got her, it's hooks in her and she'd been struggling. That's really one of the first places I started stealing pills from too. You know, yeah. I told you I, when I was a little kid, I started stealing cigarettes from her. Bigger kid started stealing pills. Yeah. Yeah. And I went there and she was back on the pills again and I thought she was not. And I knew that I was not going to stay sober at a house where those things existed. Yeah. It just wasn't. And if I didn't stay sober, that meant I was going to go do that prison term. Yeah. And uh, and and I walked out of that house. I walked in and I saw mom in that position and I knew what was up. And I saw, you know, I just knew. 
and I turned around and walked out. My dad's going, where are you going? Where are you going? I was like, I'll be back. I had to go. I didn't know what to do. And I do that. Didn't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. But at that point, I had started to begin to know what to do, and that was called my sponsor. Yeah. And uh, and he gave me that weak advice of uh, what I thought was weak advice at the time to pray for pray on it. Well, this is going to be an opportunity for Thanks. you to yeah. yeah. You Great gotta idea. Give me something more than that. Good idea. And uh, he said, "Yeah, just pray for your recovery. Pray for pray for, ask your higher power." And what he said to me, and I I've recalculated this a little bit, and I and I'm pretty sure I know what he said. I heard it wrong, but he said. Well, this is one of the opportunities where you get to test your reliance on, on your higher power. Mm-hmm. Well, what I heard a little bit was I was going to test my higher power. That's not what he said. No. <laughs> he said he's going to test my reliance on my higher power. Yeah. It's an opportunity for me to do that. And so what I would suggest is you pray for your higher power to support your recovery and whatever that means. So, gee, thanks. Yeah. But that's what I did. And when I went to sign the papers and stuff and go do this thing where it was a week later when I had already, you know, go officially cut the deal and and stand in front of the judge and do all that dance, uh, I went back in that room. And when I was signing the paperwork, it is had on there, you cert- you sentenced to three years, uh, one year home incarceration, one year probation, one year on the shelf, uh, pending successful completion of these other two. And you do you know, however all that was written, and you would serve your home incarceration and had this house's address on the paperwork. That was not the deal we cut. This house and not your mom's. No, this was my house at the time, yeah. and then yeah, I was supposed to do it someplace else. Yeah. And that was not the address on it. This house's address was on that paperwork, and I flipped out. I don't remember another thing throughout the whole exercise. I don't remember another thing. I was in a blur because the only thing I could focus on was that mistake that was in that paperwork. It wasn't a mistake. And uh, and I carried that and I carried that all the way out of there. And and I really do not remember the proceedings. I don't remember standing up and I mean I have this real foggy remembrance standing in front of the judge and him bowing the gavel and do all that you know. And I pled. Do you understand, Mister Reed? Blah 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 blah. And uh, I walked out of there and it was another one of those things that man, what am I going to do now? And I called my sponsor. And he started laughing. And it's one of the first, it was the first time he goes, you know what that is, don't you? And uh, I'm like, no, I don't know what it is. What is it? And he said, what have you been praying for all week? And I was like, I've been praying for my higher power to support my recovery. And I tell this story this way because people in AA tell me that this is a program of rigorous honesty. Mm-hmm. And I have a little bit different view on that, and I'm thankful to my sponsor about that today uh, because I had some friends tell me I need to go down there and straighten that out and tell them their mistake. And my sponsor told me that would be undoing God's work. Uh, Very grateful for a sponsor that operates like that. And so just come full circle on that, that, that stuff that happens when I just simply pray and ask for help in whatever form that comes in. Try to detach from any outcomes of what that's going to look like. Time and time again, my miracles showed up in ways that I could not have scripted. Mm-hmm. You hear that all the time here too, right? If I wrote a script for yeah. what I wanted, I'd have sold myself short. Absolutely. And I certainly would. 
So I try to keep that open in my life today when I'm asking for this help in my life. Uh, don't try to write a script. This witch help was manifested that way. This was not here a couple years ago. It's here now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hated a job that I had in corporate America, but I thought that I had to have it because I didn't think I could survive without that job. Yeah. Uh, they laid me off. Uh, I got a, such a tight grip on that security post, you couldn't have ripped me off of that. Yeah. Uh, 401k, good benefits, nice paying job. Was there 28 years by the time that that, and uh, what I know is higher power said, yeah, that's not what you're going to do yeah. anymore. And now I get to do something completely different. I have my own gig going that frees up my time. And one of the things it does, it frees up my time to participate in my own recovery at the level that I. It's awesome. I was wanting to say want to, and it is a want to. I have a lot of time to do this thing, much like what you're talking about, because I can tell that that's, there's nothing more fulfill, fulfilling to me than to be helped and to have another hand downstream, right? Yeah. Helping it. That's where all the juice is. Juice. That's what we call it in our circles of, uh, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. uh, this life force that, uh, that, that I can't explain that I get we, uh, by, by, by walking this path. And there's no better juice than to grab another hand. Yeah. I had a friend call me a month ago. This guy's been trying to get sober for six or seven years, longer than I've been sober. That, not, that I broke. I have a whole story around that too. But I broke in that house and I ended up getting caught. But I got away, and and a guy ball batted me and pepper sprayed me and and wore me out pretty good. But I was able to escape, and I disappeared. And uh, and I was over at this guy's house throwing rocks at his window, trying to wake him up to help me. And, uh, and he didn't wake up because he's probably drunker than hell. And, uh, and had he woke up, he'd have let me sleep on his couch. And some things, some more miracles happened later on that night because I was forced into coming back here. And had, I not, and had, had he woke up, I'd have slept on his couch. And I'd have missed some things on my journey that I know are now critical. Mm-hmm. He called me up a month ago and said he's going up to Minneapolis to a 30-day rehab. I never know if that's what somebody needs or not, you know. Yeah. Uh, I don't. But if he's going, if he's if he's reaching for help, and that's a big demonstration to displace yourself mm-hmm. and go, much like going to the healing place and and displacing yourself and saying I'm going to invest myself there. I don't know. We don't really think that, but to take that step to 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 get out of a comfort zone and go do something. And he called me uh, last night and said he was coming home. And his 30 days was up and he was scared to death when he got here and uh and then his plane flight was delayed so he did, i was supposed to spend some time with him today and his flight was delayed and uh so he he texted me when he got home this evening and it was about an hour before you were to show up mm-hmm. and uh and and i just tell people you know i what i'm doing and i got on my phone real quick trying to find help for him you know zoom meetings and, and that yeah. kind of thing yeah uh but you watch it, but there's nothing like, he doesn't understand how much he's helping me right now, right? Yeah. As he's coming in here, bothering me for help. Uh, that's what I do today. Everything else, I, everything I do in my life today is in order to do these things. Carry, help tell these stories. Help another person. Absolutely. Give, give everything else up to be able to do that. 
Jessica, anything else? I'm all tapped out. I always ask people if they have a concluder. Do you have any final thoughts that you want to just throw out there to whoever might be concluder. listening? Concluder. I guess anybody that, you know, is struggling or they don't think that this thing works, you know, tonight you've listened to two people, you know, that absolutely are a perfect example that this thing works. You know, it does. And you can live, be better, and experience more. And if for some weird reason you try it, you can don't like it, you can always go back to where you are, you know. Give it a shot. You know, find somebody that'll work those 12 steps with you. At the end of those 12 steps, if you work them completely and fully to the best of your ability, you're like, nah, not for me. You walk right back where you were. But what if? What if you get to have the miracles that we've experienced? Isn't it worth just a little bit of time? Do a few steps and see. I think that's all I got. Awesome. I really appreciated sitting here with you today, tonight. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, I just love the energy. I do. And I feel it from you. Uh, the story moved me. The one story, you know, and I know we can do that, but dude, that, that you get touched. This mm -hmm. stuff touches me. Yeah. Uh, at some level, I didn't know I was capable of being touched at, you know, that this uh, core. I don't even, I can't, I, words, words are falling short on it. But that is, that's just miracles. And I do believe that if I don't, pass along these stories I'm actually at some level spitting in the face of the power that that came down and saved me yeah I am responsible for passing along this stuff and telling these stories uh, because it is available to you too yeah it truly is yeah no matter how much you think it's not yeah. all the voices that tell you this is not for you AA just isn't for me can't work for me all those other all that's crap. Uh, I'm in a, I'm in a group that's delivering this 12-step message to normal people. Yeah. Here in Louisville, yeah. we have meetings weekly. I sponsor people who are not addicts and alcoholics, and they work these 12 steps, and it works in their lives too. Yeah. Because everybody's dealing with something. Yeah. Right. And uh, and, and my sponsor and I have a little bit of a, not a little bit, a whole lot of a thing that the world is hurting today. Mm. and people need some tools and that book says this is the design for living that that really works yeah and that says nothing in it about alcohol mm -hmm. or drugs or anything else it says this is a design for living that works and we're finding that it works for everybody so i work with people who are alcoholics and addicts uh and i work with people who are uh who are not yeah and to watch those people's lives change is ever been as fulfilling. Yeah. It gives me a whole new pool. Yeah, absolutely. To work with. And then they can carry that message to other people who are not alcoholics and addicts. Yeah. And uh, and I think we could change the world. Who knows? I yeah. If that is not, you know, today is AA's birthday, right? Oh, yeah? Yeah, June the 10th. Okay. This is Dr. Bob's birthday today. Okay. And that was what AA's settled on is the, so that was uh 85 years ago today. Wow. 
is a happy birthday to those 12 steps. That's essentially. right. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah. And uh, I just want everybody to have it. Yeah. Everybody. So I close always with two things. And everything I got, I got from somebody else. Yeah. Right? None of this stuff is me except for my story. Yeah. That one's mine. Yeah. Uh, I get an email every day that gives me all the readings. It's got them all wrapped up one-stop shopping. 5.30 a.m. It comes in my inbox. It's called the Daily Ponderables. It's got the 24 hours. It's got the Daily Reflections. It's got some Native American stuff, some Buddhism stuff. It's always got some big book stuff in it. Uh, various spiritual stuff, other quotes from other um, uh, recovery voices and, and things. And at the bottom of it, it says, if you're not enjoying your recovery, it's your own damn fault. Yeah. Then I have another one of those Eskimos that come into my life one day and told me, uh, Dan, the thing is, you must participate in your own recovery. It's just that simple. And so I always do when I talk and I'm able to do this. I I just want to thank everybody out there for allowing Rachel and I to participate in our recoveries in this manner tonight. Thank you all for listening. Peace out.